once a year, I preach a sermon uh, about the Word of God to encourage my people at Olney Baptist to devour the Word in the coming year. And so this sermon is meant to excite you about the, the Word of, of God. Psalm 119, verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we ask that you would cause this to happen to us. More and more that our souls would be consumed with longing for your rules, your word, your law at all times. Father, we confess that we need you to help us do this. We even need you now to help us be consumed with longing for Psalm 119 right now. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be among us and in us and work through me to preach your word faithfully. Pray that I would know nothing, that we would know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We pray, O God, that your word would be exalted, that you would be honored. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you would work in us to pursue you like never before in your word. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. How many of you have heard of Dr. S.M. Lockridge? S.M. Lockridge, not many, so this is good. I I want to make you aware of Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, and I brought a bunch of these little gospel tracts. He's most well known for a little six-minute description of Jesus called, That's My King. And so all of you this afternoon, you need to go home and you need to Google uh, S.M. Lockridge, That's My King, and you need to hear this. And I put a bunch of these tracks up here on the front um, uh, chairs here, so take one. I also brought some Bible reading plans. One of the hopes of this sermon is that you might be encouraged to read through the Bible in a year, or I tell my congregation two years or five years, however long it takes to read through the whole Bible. But Shadrach Meshach Lockridge said that every sermon ought to do at least four things. It ought to instruct the mind, and so fill your mind with the truth of God. It ought to warm your heart, so uh, move your affections for deep feelings for God. It ought to move your will So move you to action for God's glory, and then fourthly, it ought to tan your hide. And that means convictive sin. So this sermon, the point of this sermon is to convince your mind and excite your heart about the truthfulness and beauty and power and sufficiency of God's Word so that your will might be moved and encouraged to pursue God and His Word in this next year like you've never pursued Him before. And if you've not been pursuing God in His Word as you should, then another point of this sermon is to tan your hide, the convict of sin, so that you might repent and begin to pursue God in His Word as you should. In Psalm 119, there are many synonyms used for God's Word, the statutes of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, His rules, His laws, His testimonies, His promises, His precepts, His ways, His decrees, His ordinances, but they're all pointing to the Word of the living God. Ligon Duncan 
comments on this psalm. He says, this psalm shows us both why we should value God's word and how we should value God's word. And we know as Christians that we need new hearts so that we will delight in God's word. Remember God's new covenant promises like in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We must be born again before we can delight in this word as we see the psalmist delight in God's word in Psalm 119. And some of you may be here today and and you've not yet come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want you to know him. You see, the, the, the bad news is that we've all delighted in other things besides God and his word. We've delighted primarily in self. And what I want, and the way I want it, when I want it. We've delighted in our sexual desires, and our own lust of the flesh, and lust of the eyes, and pride of life. We, we've lied and cheated and stolen. We've not honored our father and mother as we should, children. We've broken God's commandments. We've spurned his word and found delight in so many other things in this world whether it be entertainment or sports, so many other things the world gives itself to an idolatry. And because of this sin, we all deserve hell. We just read in Psalm Isaiah 66 where the, the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. Jesus spoke of hell more than anyone else in the Bible combined and described it that way. It's eternal burning and fire that never, ever, ever ends. That's what we deserve for our sins. But praise God for the good news. God so loved the world as we read that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves sinners. He loves those who spurned his word and spurned him and his glory. And so he sent his son Jesus, the God man, into the world to live a perfect life who always lived out God's word, cherished God's word, who lived out the verse we just read. His soul was always consumed with longing for his father's rules at all times. And he came loving and serving and healing and raising the dead and making the blind see and the deaf hear. And then he died. He took upon himself that wrath and curse and judgment that we deserve and suffered the the wrath of God on the cross and died and was buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He's alive. He conquered sin, death, and hell. This is why we meet today and not yesterday. He's alive. He conquered the grave. And now if we turn, if we repent and believe in him, we can be saved. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I encourage you, trust in Christ. Turn from your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he will save you and change you and give you this new heart so that the Bible will no longer be boring to you. For the first 18 years of my life, I went to church and it was boring The Bible was boring. I never picked up the Bible unless I was in the church. And then God did something in my life, caused me to be born again so that now this book was alive. And God was glorious and beautiful. That's what we need. We need to be born again. And so this sermon is for believers to encourage you to to long after God and his word. And I have 36 points 
They're brief. (laughs) 36 points to summarize the whole book of Psalm 119. Number one, believers are holy, blameless, and blessed to to the degree that they obey God's word. Look at verse one. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. In verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Our standard of holiness and purity is the word of God. We are to obey it from the heart to be blameless. Obeying God's word for the Christian brings joy and delight and satisfaction in God. This is what blessedness is. I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount right now and, you know, the Beatitudes, blessed, blessed, blessed. What does blessed mean? I define it this way, a supernatural, spirit-given joy and satisfaction in God because He is your treasure and you receive His favor and approval as He works out all of your circumstances for your everlasting good and for His glory. We are blessed like this as we seek to obey God's Word. Two, believers desire to obey God's word. Look at verse five. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. You see this desire the psalmist has to to keep the word of God. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He goes even to the degree that he hides God's word in his heart, memorizing it meditating upon it that he might not sin against you. The believer's desire is to obey God's word because we have that new heart, because we have Christ dwelling in us by the Spirit, because the law is written on our hearts, because we're united to Christ, we long to obey God's word. Three, the desire believers have for God and for his word cannot be separated. I don't know if you've ever met someone like this who says, well, you're all about the the written word of God, the Bible. I'm all about the word made flesh, Jesus. Bad. (laughs) Bad distinction. Don't do that. We see in this psalm the desire believers have for God and for his word cannot be separated. What God hath joined together, let no man separate. Look at verses 2 through 3. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. They're keeping the testimonies and seeking him with their whole heart. These two are bound together. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. Uh, To seek the Lord is to seek his word. And to seek His Word is to seek the Lord. Four, believers desire and delight in God's Word. Believers desire and delight in God's Word. Look at verse 20. We read this, the opening verse. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. If I was standing at the back and saying, I'm going to hand out million dollar checks at the end of this service, billion dollar checks, trillion dollar checks, 
You give me your Bible, and don't read it again, and I'll give you a check. The psalmist says, no way. <laughs> no way. Your word, O Lord, is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Like someone who thirsts and pants and longs. He longs for the commandments of the Lord. And 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Believers desire and delight in God's word. Beloved, we want to pray that God would give us this kind of longing for his word. Five, believers tell others God's word. Look at verse 13. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. John Calvin comments on this. In this verse, he declares that the law of God was not only deeply engraven on his own heart, but that it was his earnest and strenuous endeavor to gain over many of his fellow disciples into subjection to God. So believers, as we, we, we're, we're saved, we're born again, we, we don't want to keep this to ourselves. We, we want to tell other people about the Lord. We, we do this in evangelism, declaring the gospel, the word of the gospel to lost sinners. We want to do that. We want to disciple one another. We want to help other Christians grow in the knowledge of God and holiness in Christ's likeness. And I would make an application here, especially to you parents we want our children to know the gospel, to know the Bible. We want to share the word of God with our children that they might know him and be saved and live for him. I love the catechism. We have a children's catechism I encourage our parents to use. And it's a way to teach children the, the basic truths of God. Who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. And it goes on and on and, and has like 106 questions where they will be theologians at five years old. And you can have them memorize the Bible along with that. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Teach them John 3.16, teach our children the word of the living God. Six, believers focus on God's word in times of trouble. Psalm 119.95, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. Our beloved, consider our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan that our brother prayed for. The wicked are lying in wait to destroy them. Where will they go? Psalm 121. I look to the Lord. He's my help. He's my shelter. How many of you can look back on your life and know in your darkest times, in your greatest struggles, you have gone to some portion of Scripture to find life? For me, it's Psalm 40. I remember times in my life so paralyzed by fear, anxiety, worry. You had this pit in your stomach. You can hardly think and can't eat. And you're so worried and anxious. Psalm 40 is my go-to. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burning offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? 
It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. He's so big. That's what I need to hear when I'm so afraid. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. I need to hear it again from the Word of God over and over. Believers focus on God's Word in times of trouble to remind us of how great and beautiful and glorious and faithful our God is. Seven, believers are certain of the absolute perfection and internal nature of God's Word. Verse 96, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. John Collins comments on this verse, the Lord's broad commandment has no limit to its perfection because it partakes of God's own limitless perfection. Verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Or think of Jesus' words in Luke 21, 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Beloved, this word is perfect. This word abides forever. You can trust this word. I know we're in a college town and some of you have professors that want to belittle this word. We're actually reading a book by Michael Kruger. I highly recommend this book for for those in college, going to college, professors, Surviving Religion 101, Letters to a Christian Student on Keeping the Faith in College. Uh, Kruger had Bart Ehrman at, at Chapel Hill and Ehrman loves to destroy the Bible. Try to try to destroy Christians' faith. And, and this book goes into details about all kinds of things that college professors try to do to undermine students' confidence in the Word of God. Get one of these and read it and know that our Bible is trustworthy, that our God is trustworthy, that His Word is trustworthy. And I love the story of Billy Graham. His friend Charles Templeton had gone and heard all of these liberal critics about the Bible and he was having all these questions and he was bringing up to Billy Graham and Billy Graham was like, I don't know how to answer these questions about the Bible. But Billy Graham out in the, out in, in the woods one night laid his Bible on a stump and said, Lord, I receive this Bible as the word of God just as I received you by faith. And God went on to use him to preach this inerrant, perfect, holy, righteous, everlasting word of God. We believe for many reasons, but one, and the most important, is by faith. We receive this word as the true and living word of God. Eight, believers get life from God's word. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Spurgeon comments, it expresses the spiritual change by which a child of Adam becomes a child of God. It's through the Word of God as the Spirit works that we're actually born again into a living hope and transferred from children of darkness into children of light. How many of you have heard testimonies where people got saved by reading the Word of God? I heard one yesterday, a new member candidate just devoured the Word of God and and he woke up one day and believed it's all true. Trusted Christ. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. This book's alive. The Word of God is alive. And God uses it by His Spirit to save sinners. It gives us life. Number nine, believers get strength 
from God through God's word. Believers get strength from God through God's word. Look at verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. I don't know how many of you have had things happen like the scheduled preacher where you've lost a loved one. You've lost someone dear to you. You're going through something this morning that causes you to have deep sorrow. But the word to us this morning is the way we get strength in the midst of deep sorrow is the word of God. I again remember times in my life where I just feel so paralyzed by life and fear. I just open up the Psalms and just start with Psalm 1 and just start reading Psalm 1, going 1, 2, 3, weeping, crying, praying, and reading, weeping, crying, praying, going through the word of God. Beloved, if you're in sorrow this morning, it's overwhelming to you. I encourage you, take up the word. And read and cry and pray and read and cry and pray. God's word strengthens us. Number 10, believers avoid false teaching by knowing God's word. Believers avoid false teaching by knowing God's word. Look at verse 29. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I strongly encourage people to watch a documentary called American Gospel, Christ Alone. It's on YouTube for free. It's 58 minutes on there. The full version is on Amazon for $3.99. American Gospel, Christ Alone. It tackles one of what I believe to be the most insidious poisons in the church in our day, the prosperity gospel. And they'll take portions of God's word and use that to teach their false doctrine. Just like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, they'll take portions of God's word, but they interpret it the wrong way. Satan used God's word and interpreted it the wrong way, and they don't take into account all of God's word in context. That's why I believe it's so important that we know all of God's word in context. I was talking with a, 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 a young man at Broad and Olney this past week, and, and he, I think he was a Jehovah's Witness. I wear a shirt called Jesus is God. That's like my hijab. But Muslims have their hijab letting everybody know what they believe. I wear a Jesus is God shirt as much as I can. In the winter, I wear a hoodie, Jesus is God. I want to wear it all the time because I want people to know where I stand. I even have a mask that says Jesus is God. And he came up to me and said, no, you know, Jesus is not God. Jehovah's God. And he'll go to certain scriptures. For him, it was uh, Jesus is praying. He, who is he praying to? His Father. Well, then how can he be God? Are you saying he's praying to himself? No. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, well that's not him. You know. And he, he, he will, he'll take one verse here, one verse there, but not... What, what does the whole panorama of the biblical data teach? You see, that's the problem. They don't take into account all of the biblical data. All of the biblical data points to a triune God. We need to know the Word of God. We need to know it well. We, we need to know verses like in John 8 where Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. I am from Exodus 3.14. At Moses at the burning bush asked God, What's your name? And God says, I am who I am. And Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. There Jesus claims to be God. And the Jews pick up stones to kill him. Why? Because if he's a mere man, he deserves to be stoned. But he's not a mere man. He's God in the flesh, and they should have bowed down and worshipped him. Or Thomas. Remember doubting Thomas when he sees Jesus? My Lord and my God. 
I tell my Mormon and Jehovah's Witness friends and Muslim friends, if you can't call Jesus my Lord and my God, you will not be saved. No, we have to know all of the biblical data to keep us from errors and false theologies. Believers avoid false teaching by knowing God's Word, all of it, in context. Eleven, God enables believers to understand and obey God's Word. Look at verses 33 through 36. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. You see, the psalmist is praying for help to understand God's Word. Teach me, O Lord. Give me understanding. Lead me in the path. We must cry out to God to help us. Before we read, before we take up and read, beg beg God to give you understanding, to give you His Spirit, to help you understand what you are reading. Twelve, believers trust in God's Word. Look at verses 41 through 43. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. We trust in God's word. By faith, we believe God's word. Number 13, believers obey God from the heart persevere and endure with the help of God's Word. Verse 112, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Verse 44, I will always obey your law forever and ever. True believers obey from the heart. That's such a big focus of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that we obey from the heart and we will persevere and keep believing God's Word. By the help of God's Word, He will hold us fast as we cling to His promises in His Word. Fourteen, believers experience freedom through God's Word. Verse 45, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. We understand as believers that, that the, the, the greatest freedom we can have is through obedience to God's Word. We, we don't see God's Word as this constraint. Oh, I can't do that, and I can't do this, and I can't do that now because God's just a killjoy. He takes away all my joy. No, that person's probably not born again. If you're here this morning, that's how God's Word lands on you. It, it's just a, a burden. I can't do this. I really want to do this, but I can't do that anymore. Well, then you're, you, you, you delight in wickedness. Right? But but a believer delights in holiness, delights in God's parameters, and sees true freedom is doing what God says. That it's your joy, your delight to obey God's word, and you've become a slave of God and a slave of righteousness, and you fight your sin and hate your sin and turn from your sin. True freedom is experienced through obedience to God's word. Legan Duncan comments on this, true freedom is being who God made you to be and doing what God tells you to do. That's true freedom. And so we don't see God and His Word as a burden, but as a gateway to freedom. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. And His Word shows us the way. 15, believers love and meditate on God's Word. Verses 47 and 48. I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. 
I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Spurgeon comments on this. Oh, how I love thy law. It is a note of exclamation. He loves so much that he must express his love. And in making the attempt, he perceives that it is inexpressible and therefore cries, oh, how I love. We not only reverence, but love the law. We obey it out of love. And even when it chides us for disobedience, we love it nonetheless. The law is God's law. And therefore, it is our love. We love it for its holiness and pine, desire to be holy. We love it for its wisdom and study to be wise. We love it for its perfection and long to be perfect. Those who know the power of the gospel perceive an infinite loveliness in the law as they see it fulfilled and embodied in Christ Jesus. It is my meditation all the day. This was both the effect of his love and the cause of it. He meditated in God's word because he loved it and then loved it the more because he meditated in it. He could not have enough of it, so ardently did he love it. All the day was not too long for his converse with it. His main prayer, his noonday thought, his even song were all out of holy writ. Yea, it is his worldly business. He still kept his mind saturated with the law of the Lord. It is said of some men that the more you know them, the less you admire them. But the reverse is true of God's word. Familiarity with the word of God breeds affection. And affection seeks yet greater familiarity. When thy law and my meditation are together all the day, the day grows holy, devout, and happy, and the heart lives with God. The psalmist turned away from all else, for in the preceding verse he tells us that he had seen an end of all perfection, but he turned in unto the law and tarried there the whole day of his life on earth, growing henceforth wiser and holier, even sick of love. As the church saith, she was sick of love towards Christ, so seemeth the prophet to be sick of love towards the Word of God. Ah, friend, you may remember when you were sick with love at once for your lover, for your husband, for your wife. May we be sick with love for God's Word. Pray for that. 16, believers are comforted by God's Word. Verse 52, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Again, I would invite you to remember what verses, what scriptures, what texts have brought you comfort in your calamities. I think of Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Or Isaiah 41.10. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Believers are comforted by God's Word. 17. Believers sing God's Word. They sing God's Word. We just sang Psalm 121. Look at verse 54. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Verses 171 and 172. My lips will pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. Sometimes I visit a church in Elkins Park. It's of the Reformed Presbyterian Church in America denomination. And they actually believe, now I don't agree with this, uh, but they believe that in a church service, it is biblical to only sing psalms. 
And so they only sing psalms from the 150 uh, psalms and no instruments as well. Sometimes I want to be with that way because it can do away with all the worship war garbage. Uh, but what better thing to sing than the Word of God? <laughs> we just sang Psalm 121. God's people sing God's Word. And our hymns are shaped by the Word of God. 18. The delight believers have in God motivates them to obey God's Word. Verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. The delight believers have in God motivates them to obey God's word. We as Christians are to, to delight in the Lord, right? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of our heart. He is to be our joy, our treasure, our delight, our happiness. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And as we delight in him, as we find the Lord to be our portion, our all in all, as we can say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but thee? There's nothing on earth I desire besides thee. This is what motivates us to obey the words of God. Again, it's not drudgery. It's not I have to do this. No, there's this joy, this overflowing joy in God that moves us then to obey what God has said. Number 19. Point 19, God's word moves and motivates believers to praise God. Verse 62, at midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Verse 164, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. And so the word of God moves him to praise God, even waking up at midnight to praise the Lord. Point 20, Believers call affliction and suffering good because it causes them to learn God's Word. Hear that one. That's a tough one. Believers call affliction and suffering good because it causes them to learn God's Word. I didn't make that up. It's right there in the text. Verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It's helped me in my life to realize the main goal, aim God has in my little life is to make Joseph more like Jesus Christ. And that often means suffering. And that's what the psalmist is talking about here. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Spurgeon comments, if we would be scholars, we must be sufferers. Beloved, look at your afflictions. Look at your sufferings. How God has used them to make you grow in Christ, to drive you to your knees, to drive you to the Word of God, to drive you to hope in Him. May we all say with the psalmist, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. 21, believers seek God's word. Verse 45, I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. Verse 94, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. They seek after God's word. They seek after his law, his precepts. Intentionally with a focus, with a purpose. Believers seek God's word. 22, 
God's Word makes believers wise. God's Word makes believers wise. Look at verses 98 through 100. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. He understands more than those who are older, who are supposed to be older, wiser, more experienced. Because he's sought God's word and read God's word, meditated upon God's word. We grow in wisdom through the study and meditation of God's word. Spurgeon comments, disciples of Christ who sit at the feet, who, who sit at his feet, are often better skilled in divine things than doctors of divinity. For thy testimonies are my meditation. This is the best mode of acquiring understanding. We may hear the wisest teachers and remain fools, but if we meditate upon the sacred word, we must become wise. There is more wisdom in the testimonies of the Lord than in all the teachings of men if they are all gathered into one vast library. The one book outweighs all the rest. What does it profit a man to get a degree from Harvard and lose his soul forever? I I would, again, point parents as we think about schooling and best schools and best colleges and all these things. What does it profit a child? To have all the bestness of education and not know Jesus and die and go to hell. Teach them the word. One book. Spurgeon said, visit many books, but live in the Bible. Visit many books, but live in the Bible. Or as Acts 4.13 says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, yes, they were common. They were uneducated, but they realized they had been with Jesus. May we be with Jesus often in his word and be wise. 23, God's word motivates believers to turn from evil. Verse 101, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. D.A. Carson tells a story. There was a pastor who was simultaneously pastoring and preaching and teaching in his church, and yet he was, he was cheating on his wife, committing adultery at the same time. But he kept reading God's Word. And as he kept reading God's Word, God's Word convicted him of his sin and moved him to bring that sin to the light. And he confessed his sin to his wife and congregation, and he resigned from being a pastor because of his sin. God's Word, God's Word is living and active and keeps us from sin. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your Word. John Piper's mom, when he he was a teenager, wrote in his Bible, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Our beloved, take up and read and be protected from sin. 24, God's Word shows believers how to live. Verse 105, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's Word shows us how to live. How to live for the glory of God in all that we do. 25, believers remember God's Word even in the face of death. 
Verse 109, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. Beloved, do you think about your deathbed? Do you think about death? Do you think about what will be most important on that day? Last week, I preached the most terrifying passage in the New Testament where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many on that day, Jesus says, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, I've prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many mighty works in your name. And and Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Beloved, that's terrifying that many people claim Jesus as Lord and have done claimed to have done and done miracles in his name and yet will be sent to hell then. One has said only two days matter today and that day. What will you cling to on that day? God's word. Believers, remember God's word even in the face of death. May, may we be those who, 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 who hide God's word in our heart and, and remember his word. And, and I'm uh, now remembering uh, someone who is entering into a, a period of, of, of dementia in their li- lives where they will forget so much. But they write, though I may forget so much of what I've learned about God and his word, he will not forget me. He will not forget me. It's a scary thing to lose your memory. Maybe some of you are facing that. You, 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 you had the word of God so much hidden in your heart and now it's hard to remember. Take heart. He will not forget you. Ever. He will not forget you. And yet we want to give ourselves, right, to filling our heart and minds with the Word of God. That on our deathbed we will remember what He's told us. Spurgeon writes, It is a special proof of grace when nothing can drive truth out of our thoughts or holiness out of our lives. If we remember the law, even with death stares us in the face, we may be well assured that the Lord is remembering us. 26. God's word is the heritage and joy of believers' hearts. Look at verse 111. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, my inheritance forever, for they are the joy of my heart. God's word is our heritage. God's word is our inheritance. They are the joy of the believer's heart. Calvin comments, the law of God was more precious to him than all the pleasures, riches, and possessions of the world. Beloved, is that how you view God's word? More precious to you than your phone? More precious to you than your your car and your house? All your possessions, God's word. That is our chief delight. He is our chief delight. Point 27. Believers love God's word because it promises judgment and justice. Verse 119. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. We aren't used to that. We aren't used to saying, I love the imprecatory psalms. 
I love your law because of the curse judgments. Psalm 109, for instance. And yet that's what he says. I was preaching through Galatians and I got to Galatians 5.12 where Paul says, I wish, Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit says, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves or castrate themselves. And if you study a little bit more what that means, you know, Paul is talking about these false teachers who are saying you must be circumcised, right? So have the foreskin cut off. And Paul is basically saying there, I wish these people would go ahead and cut it all off. And I... I had to do a three-part series on the imprecatory wishes in the Psalms of the Bible because we got to know how to think about that according to God's Word. But God's people do pray for judgment on our enemies. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, is an imprecatory prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, is an imprecatory prayer. And you think about what's happening in Afghanistan. We pray God would save the Taliban and we pray God would stop them. And so we see here believers love God's word because it promises judgment and justice. 28, believers tremble at God's word. Verse 120, my flesh trembles for fear of you and I'm afraid of your judgments. A lot of people, when they talk about the fear of God, I think they, they, down, they, 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 they water it down to be what's well, like reverence. We had someone teaching at our church recently on the back and he said, no, I actually think it means fear. <laughs> Trembling fear at God. I feared last week when I preached on that passage that I could be self-deceived and say, Lord, Lord, and at that day hear God say, depart from me. Paul feared that. That's why Paul said, I beat my body and bring it into subjection lest after preaching to others, I myself be cast away. It's an amazing couple truths that Paul holds in, 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 in uh, harmony. He says things like that and also writes Romans 8. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Amen. Both are true. I tremble at God's word. I tremble at God's judgment. Isaiah 66, 2. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God's people fear God. And it's a joy to them to fear God because we cling to Him all the more tightly. 29, believers are sad when others don't obey God's Word. Verse 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Beloved, is that your, is that your experience of, of seeing others live in rebellion against God and yet you long for them to know God and live for Him. Believers are sad and shed tears when others don't obey God's Word. 30, believers know and believe everything in God's Word is righteous, good, and true. Believers know and believe that everything in God's Word is righteous, good, and true. Verses 137 through 138, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. 151, but you are near, O Lord, and your commandments are true. 160, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Believers, believe God's word, infallible, inerrant, inspired, every jot and tittle, every syllable breathed out by the mouth of God. 
31, believers make pursuing God and his word a priority in their lives. Verse 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. His eyes are awake before the watches of the night that he might meditate on the word of God. Believers make pursuing God in his word a priority. 32, believers stand in awe of God's word. Believers stand in awe of God's word. Verse 161, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I love the description of God's word in the Gideon Bible. Anybody ever read that? The Gideon Bibles, they hand them out for free. Listen to this description of God's word. And I hope it makes us all stand in awe. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, too, heaven is open and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth and paradise of glory and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. This is the word of God that God has given us in abundance to know and read and meditate upon. 33, believers find peace and stability in God's word. Verse 165, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Verse uh, point 34, believers obey God's word and they obey from the heart. Verses 166 through 168. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Calvin comments here, the word soul, he expresses still, by the word soul, he expresses still more forcibly than before that he had the doctrine of the law enclosed within the deepest recesses of his heart. 35, believers are helped through the word of God. Verse 175, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. And finally, point 36, God and his word are worthy for believers to suffer and to even die for. God and his word are worthy for believers to suffer and to even die for. Verse 69, The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Verse 87, they have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Beloved, you may suffer for following Jesus' teachings on sexual ethics these days. You may suffer for following Jesus' teachings on gender And God's design for male and female these days, like a teacher in Virginia, Byron Tanner Cross, who 
was fired because he refused to call his students by their preferred gender and said, I am a teacher, but I serve God first. And I will not affirm that a biological boy can be a girl and vice versa because it is against my religion. It is lying to a child. It is abuse to that child. And it is sinning against our God. Beloved, you may be called in the coming days to suffer because you obey God's word. Muslim converts suffer. When Muslims come to Christ, they suffer for following Jesus. In a book called Women Who Risk, Tom Doyle writes about one of these young women. A young woman in Jordan who converted from Islam to Christ shared her new faith on social media and got these responses. Infidel, I hate you. You deserve to die. Then she told her mom about her conversion and her mom punched her in the face so hard it knocked her to the floor. Then her mom threatened to call her cousins and give them, have them come over and beat some sense into her. Her response, her name is Nori. Nori pulled herself from off the floor and then walked past her mother. At the kitchen door, she turned and smiled politely. Then she stumbled to her room, closed the door, and locked it. Nori dropped to her knees, forgave her mom, and opened the Bible. Her mom continued to yell at her and curse her and even refused to make her dinner, telling her that she hoped her daughter starved to death. But each time, Nori would respond with love and kindness and tell her mother that she still loved her. Nori started a social media page to tell others in the Muslim world about Jesus. She had over a thousand friends on her page and answered their questions every night about Islam and Christianity. To her surprise, her own mother got onto her page She was using a different name, so her mom didn't know this was her. And her mother started asking her questions about Jesus because of the huge change that she saw in her own daughter's life. So get the picture here. Her mom is ridiculing her, beating her, berating her, and yet at night is getting online saying, my daughter is a changed person. Unbelievably, she loves me, cares for me, even when I'm wicked toward her. What is this stuff about Jesus? And she's asking her own daughter. And doesn't know it. And her own daughter kept answering her questions about Jesus and telling her the gospel. And eventually, her mom converted to Christ. And now they both live for Jesus together. This is an amazing story. This is God's amazing grace. That when we're obedient to the Word of God, even in suffering, and continue to speak the Word of God, He changes lives forever. Beloved Christians are suffering now in Afghanistan. Mindy Bells, the senior editor of World Magazine, wrote last week, a person who works with house church networks in Afghanistan reports its leaders received letters last night from the Taliban warning them that they know where they are and they know what they're doing. And the leaders say they aren't going anywhere. And so it begins. They're not going anywhere. They're willing to suffer for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and even die for Him if they must. Ah, beloved, who is the greatest man who has ever lived 
who died for the sake of God and His Word? Who is the one man who lived all of this out? All 36 points and more lived this Word out perfectly. Jesus, the Word made flesh. John 1, 1 through 3 and 14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son of the, from the Father, full of grace and truth. This Word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, died on that cross for our sins and rose from the dead to change us such that we are captivated by Him and His Word. And so may that be our prayer. May you consider that as you think about your own personal devotions or praise God that you're here giving yourself to the study of God's Word even in the public gathering of God's people. And may you go home and meditate on his word day and night and study and hold him and his word dear. Christ's passion was God's holy word. To turn from it would be absurd. He loved it, did it, spoke it, heard, and was the word in flesh conferred. Yet though he did all undeterred, God's wrath on him fell fully stirred. He died, then stomped on death the third. By faith, his righteousness transferred. In him, your sin has been interred. So now, like him, you love the word and trust and do it as preferred. Father, we pray this would be true of us, that we would do your word as that which is most preferred, that we would delight in your word. We pray, God, that the, the verse we started with would be true of us, that we would be consumed with longing for your rules at all times. God, we pray uh, that you would make us students of the Bible, that we would hide your word in our heart, that we would not sin against you, that we would grow in our desire for you and your word. Lord, that we would make progress. And Father, we do pray if there's anyone here today that does not know the Word made flesh, who has not yet bowed the knee to Him, we pray that today, Lord, they would be saved and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>